Good morning. How's everybody doing? We had a great first service. It's, uh, there. This was lost and now found. So uh, uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, uh, I want to say thanks to Zach for sh- uh, filling the pulpit for me last <laughs> Sunday. Sitting way over there, hiding in the corner, but uh, thank you for sharing uh, last Sunday, and I know that everybody was blessed by the word that you shared, and uh, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, when I first met Pastor Jeff, he had just come out of the Marine Corps, and then he was working on his uh, Master's in Divinity, and then uh, he went into, out of the Marine Corps, decided to kind of stay connected to the military, and he became a chaplain for the Air Force, in the Air Force Reserves. He does a lot of uh, engagements in, inside the Pentagon and, and memorial services at Arlington National Cemetery. But because he remains uh, an officer and a chaplain in the Pentagon, he has to do three weeks every year at uh, one of the Air Force bases. So uh, while he was down in Mississippi, uh, I was sharing up Fairfax City Gates. And this, he texted me uh, Sunday evening and said, hey, I don't even have the gift of evangelism, but 10 guys got saved today. So while he was sharing the word there, yeah. So while he was sharing there in Mississippi, 10 10 guys came to Jesus Christ and came to faith in Christ that morning. So uh, thank you, Zach, for sharing here. And we just played a little musical chairs. And we like to do that uh, as often as the Lord uh, facilitates it. But good to see all of you this morning. we had a great first service that I mentioned, so we're looking forward to seeing what God will do. And the worship was awesome. Thank you, Tawan, for pouring out your heart there. And Marty bouncing up and down over here on guitar. We love it. You know, it's the good, good stuff. Uh, real quick, uh, we have, you might have saw the 10th Hour team out there, and you might have saw the 10th Hour t-shirts and some of the young people that are here, and they've been here since Wednesday. We had an awesome Wednesday night service. Just, uh, just hearing about, I don't know, seven or eight different testimonies. And uh, then Dave, Sharon, you're going to hear a little bit from them uh, as part of our service today, near the end of the service, what I'm, what I'm t- calling acts, uh, action or acts in action. And so they'll be sharing a little bit uh, as part of this service as well. But we just had a fantastic, uh, blessed anointed time on Wednesday night. And then uh, yesterday we had uh, a training, evangelism training and brunch. And Dave and the team, most of the young people led the training uh, which was uh, just a really sweet time, and then out into the community uh, to share the gospel, and went to a local park, and some went to a local mall. And so, thank you those that, those of you that came out. And we, uh, Dave, you were surprised we actually have an evangelism team here because this is like almost unheard of in American churches today to actually have an evangelism team. Like the whole reason Jesus sent the apostles. You're going to see it right here. Now. If you're wondering. Is this my opinion? You're going to see it straight in Acts chapter 1 here this morning. Uh, so the, the church has lost its way. It doesn't teach the scriptures in minute anymore. doesn't talk about evangelism. Prayer meetings are lightly attended. Everything the apostles were given in Acts chapter 1 were uh, kind of abandoning in America, but, uh, but not everywhere. And God is stirring these young people. And so uh, thank you for you guys serving yesterday. It was just a great time. And, uh, you know, I, I don't ever want to be a pastor that only preaches the gospel in this pulpit. Amen. 
I want to make sure that I'm preaching it in private conversations, in parking lots, in Starbucks, and play. Anytime I can have a conversation with somebody and I ask, what is it that you really believe in? What have you heard about Jesus? What do you know about the gospel? So uh, if I'm only doing it in this pulpit, I feel like I'm disqualified to be in this pulpit. If all I do it is here, uh, that's my view of it, and I think Scripture would uh, back that up. So we'll look at these things even this morning, Acts chapter 1, but looking forward to you guys hearing, uh, those of you that didn't on Wednesday or yesterday, hearing a little bit from uh, this team and, and what God is doing in 10th Hour Project, which is all college-age kids that are either right out of high school, right out of college, taking a gap year, and uh, it's 12 students every semester, and so just rolling through all over the country right now at the end of, uh, and then they'll head to Uganda and Peru and have the team. Dave will share all that. So uh, the next Sunday, so we, we, uh, we have, May is like uh, always packed for us, uh, and I, I'm realizing it has everybody, everybody else too, and in our family, we have another one graduating from high school, I was up uh, uh, run up to dorm room, grab some stuff Friday, bring some stuff back, and then May is just like that. But next Sunday we have on Mother's Day, which is also in the month of May, uh, you guys know that we have the ladies' tea on Saturday, and that's capped at 100. By the way, if you have not registered, register ASAP so we can get everybody that needs to be accounted for. If Ladies, if you're even, uh, you're going to be blessed. If, um, if, you, if you know anything about their testimony, this family was hit by a drunk driver. Uh, the car is going over 100 miles an hour. If you saw the car that that family was hit in, you would think that nobody survived. I mean, it looks like just like tenfold you just smushed into a ball. And somehow they all lived. And then Jen, the, the daughter, uh, still to this day has serious brain damage. But uh, you've never seen a more innocent love for Jesus until you hear her speak. I'm not, you, you, when you see it for yourself, you'll be like, wow, I want that kind of heart for the Lord. And so if you know someone who has brain injuries or they suffer from depression or anxiety or whatever, invite them. They will be blessed. Uh, that altar call there, that's at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. That's how many wow. people came forward. Uh, when they spoke to Chino Hills, it was just, just the, the whole, basically the whole congregation came forward. So uh, I'm looking forward to having them here. They're in Corpus Christi, Texas today. They are never, ever, ever free on Mother's Day, and they cannot believe that they had one date open, and my wife called them and said, would you please come to Richmond? And they're coming. So, so she did my work for me on that one. But anyway, we're glad to, ha we're glad to have them here, and they're going to be sharing Saturday. And um, Andy, who's the husband, he'll be sharing on Sunday. I'll be introducing him. The whole family will share, but, uh, but Andy will be doing the message uh, next Sunday. So I'll be here looking forward to it. Hope you'll be here with us. And if you're not, you can watch online if you're out of town or something like that. Uh, we continue to pray for revival, as you saw last night, another shooting at a mall in Texas. Uh, just uh, We have a country that Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he said that the love of many would grow cold. Right. We are becoming a cold, heartless country in every way, shape, or form. And, yeah. you know... And it's uh, once you start worshiping yourself as an idol or other things, you just uh, you don't really care about other people. And then we see hatred and division and all these things and uh, the, all the other things that were pre prevalent when uh, it was in the days of Noah too, the sexual immorality and just the uh, worship of man and worship of self. And 
uh, just so sad. It's heartbreaking when you see another eight or nine people killed and little children, and it, it's every day, uh, it's something in this, uh, in this nation. And so uh, when people forsake God, then all kinds of other things break down. There's no morals, there's no principles, there's no guiding principles. And we're not really praying that God would establish us as some utopian nation. We're praying that God would open up the eyes of people who are in darkness. Amen? Uh, because these souls need to be saved, both the people that are committing the atrocities as well as people that are um, the victims of these things. I mean, in both cases, they need the Lord. So we've been praying for revival for about 15 years, and we were at another location and all that good stuff. Uh, and then ever since the pandemic, we started getting on our knees, and we probably should have along before that, but uh, that was another thing that I every now and then mentioned. The old churches, they had these things in the back pew. They were knee pads. They folded down. It was like a common thing to get on your knees before the Lord. It's very uncommon now. Uh, and so if you're able to, we take about 45 seconds of silence. If you're new here and we get on our knees before the Lord, if it's tight or you have bad knees, just sit there and pray with us. But if you're able to, let's take about 45 seconds of silence and then just uh, implore the Lord for his work of revival and repentance. And then we'll get into God's word together, Acts chapter 1. So let's pray. Father, as I read this morning, as one of your prophets stated, that he lifts up his hands and his heart to the God of heaven. And Lord, we're praying to the God of heaven. We're praying to the God that is able to break any chain, the, the God that is able to soften any heart, the God is able to open any blind eye. And Lord, we look at around our country, uh, we see uh, just an erosion of love uh, turning to hate and just anger and strife and murder and idolatry and immorality and all of these things. And Lord, uh, everything that you said would take place. You said that the world would unravel before you return. And we see it taking place. But yet you also said, but many shall be made white and purified. And the wise would understand, Lord. And we pray that as we understand, we would intercede. And Lord, we know that if you said many would may be made white, that even in the midst of the darkest of times, you can save many souls. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring a work of repentance. Lord, first in the body of Christ, Lord, many churches, uh, our own, Lord, we need a revival here. We need a work of repentance and restoration. We pray it in the body of Christ and in in other churches that are in this city. Lord, all the churches that you have raised up. And Lord, in those churches that have abandoned the scriptures are no longer uh, preaching the word, we pray there'd be repentance in their pastoral areas and the pulpits, Lord, that there would be a return of the Word of God. We pray, Lord, for the lost around this nation, Lord, whether they are in politics, whether they are in business, whether they're in entertainment, large cities, small cities, medium-sized cities, Lord, we pray for a work of the Spirit to bring the conviction of sin and, and, Lord, the need for salvation, Lord. We pray that you'd repair and heal people that are broken. I pray for these families in Texas, Lord, they're mourning. I pray that even out of the 
the darkness and the death, Lord, that there would be people that would be saved because of this, Lord, that churches would uh, step in and, and believers would share the living hope of Jesus. Lord, we pray for, as we pray for the nations of the world, we pray for the nation of Madagascar today, Lord, with that, that island nation off the coast of Africa. Lord, we know that you love the people of Madagascar as much as you love the people of Richmond and anywhere else. Lord, we pray that they would see a work of revival and repentance and the planting of churches and disciples made in that place as, Lord, we would desire to see here and everywhere else. And, Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, wherever they may be, comfort them, touch them, heal them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with us. And uh, one other thing, it's not, it wasn't in Javon's announcements, it wasn't in my little few things, but as, before I forget, when this service ends, if you are able-bodied and you would like to help us turn this sanctuary into all the tables set up for the ladies' tea, we'd love your help. You don't have to be an expert at anything except for pick up a chair and move it in a certain direction, and we would like to kind of uh, turn this into, since Wednesday night we have the tailgate and the funnel tr cake truck stuff, we don't really need the sanctuary set up like this, so we can go ahead and kind of get ahead of the game and set it up um, right at this service. If you're able to help us, we'd love anyone that can stay and help. Uh, with that, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And uh, we're starting a brand new study today. Uh, we did the prophecy series in between finishing up the book of John. And uh, the next Sunday, like I said, we do have, with Mother's Day, uh, we have the Barrick family here. You're going to be tremendously blessed. Then we'll jump right back in. Uh, to finish out the month of May in, and we're going to finish, uh, Lord willing, as long as uh, I don't get the flu or something else or something like that, uh, we'll finish um, the month of May in, uh, the book, in, in chapter 2 on Pentecost Sunday, reading about Pentecost. Isn't that cool? So the 28th of May is Pentecost Sunday, and we should be there uh, over the next four weeks. So uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the verse, first uh, four verses and the uh, first three verses, and we'll make our way through as we go. First verse, uh, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We thank you, Jesus, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. And in fact, it already is coming. It already is being done. The salvations in this room are proof of it. Lord, our own salvation is proof of your resurrection and your uh, Lord, you're conquering of sin and death. We pray, Jesus, as we open this new study, as we open this new book, uh, you would uh, give us your light, your direction, your wisdom, your insights. We ask for an anointing of the Holy Spirit on this time this morning. Uh, I ask for your anointing on me. I need your help. I could never do justice to your word unless I receive the help and the anointing of the Spirit. I pray that you'd anoint every ear, soften every heart, open every eye. Lord, I pray you remove every distraction that we would hear from you, Jesus, clearly. And Lord, uh, it is you that we want to hear from, not me. It's your word. It's your spirit. Lord, we pray that uh, you would perfect the saints. And if anyone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, you draw them unto yourself. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The book of Acts, also referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, uh, contains the earliest days of the church, beginning with Jesus returning back to heaven. The Greek word for Acts is praxis, and it means action or deed or work, and it's often used, or was often used in the ancient times, to describe the achievements of great men. The most accurate title that we could give this book and the account of these early believers would actually be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and the early church. W. Graham Scroggy, which you don't hear that last name anymore, but uh, you did back in the day, said of the book of Acts, Christ is the theme, the church is the means, and the Spirit is the power. Christ is the theme, amen? The Spirit is the mean. I mean, the church is the means because we are the sent ones and the Spirit is the power. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title, um, The Promise of the Spirit and the Ascension of Jesus. So we start this brand new study. As you'll note in the opening words of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, there's this reference to the former account. And this is being directed to a man by the name of Theopolis. The only other place where we find this name Theopolis is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. And as I mentioned in the first service, um, every now and then I try and remind you that there's good Bible names that are still not taken. I've yet to meet a Theopolis. I've met a lot of Lukes. His name's only mentioned, I think, one more time than Theopolis. But uh, if you're you know, planning on having children, this is a name you might want to consider. Uh, he seems to be a good believer because Luke writes to him twice. But Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he also writes to Theopolis in that first letter, or that first uh, gospel account, and he said, it seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of the things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. And he probably had some sort of title or position. Luke, who's called the beloved physician by the Apostle Paul, he never mentions himself by name, Luke never mentions himself in the Gospel of Luke, nor does he mention his name in the book of Acts. But the, the name Luke is mentioned in Colossians, in 2 Timothy, and in Philemon. And we know from what Paul states in 2 Timothy uh, that Luke traveled with Paul. Luke was a travel companion of Paul. So in the book of Acts, we'll also see in chapter 16, 20, 21, 27, and 28, these we statements, we went, or we saw, or we did, things of that nature. And those, those are viewed as Luke's eyewitness account. In other words, when it was a we statement, Luke was there. He was actually part of that specific scene. The other portions of Acts is where Luke documented through eyewitness testimony of others and most specifically, he interviewed the apostles themselves and spent time with the apostles. Obviously, he spent a lot of time with the apostle Paul, but the other apostles as well. As I mentioned, uh, although Luke does not mention himself, much as John never cited himself in the book of John, we just uh, read John, he would say the beloved disciple, he would not mention his name. There's little doubt that Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The Greek historian 
and bishop of Caesarea Eusebius wrote, Luke was by race an Antiochian, and a physician by profession, was long a companion of Paul, and had careful conversation with the other apostles, and in two books left us examples of, I love how he phrases this, the medicine for souls. The medicine for souls, which he had gained for them. Luke was, Luke was a physician, but when he met Jesus, and when he saw the power of the gospel, and he saw people healed and raised from the dead, and he saw this, he realized that the gospel was the medicine for souls. The medicine that was far greater than anything he had learned in medical school and in training. And how beautifully said this is, and indeed what Luke recorded under the inspiration, this entire book of Acts is medicine for the souls, if your soul is thirsty and willing to come. The early church fathers, including Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, and nearly all those that followed after them concur that Luke was indeed the author of the book of Acts as well as the author of the book of Luke. The writing style of Luke and Acts are meticulous, as he said, orderly account. Uh, just Luke has the, as being a physician, you want your physicians to have an orderly, meticulous to detail kind of style. And Luke had that. Uh, he details the medical miracles. Uh, he was, uh, the, as I've mentioned before, uh, of the four Gospels, Luke recorded more of the healings than any other writer because as a physician, it just amazed him how many times Jesus would walk up and you know, patients that people like Luke have been trying to work on for years, Jesus walks up and says, rise and walk, you know, and they'd be done. Everything is just immediately the power of God. And so that, uh, that makes its way into both Luke and Acts. The vocabulary is consistent with Luke's background and his education as a physician. But again, you can't help but see his amazement with God. Does God still amaze you? I mean, Luke was a, was a learned man, a trained man, but he was amazed by the power of God. One more important detail regarding Dr. Luke, is, as he can be referred to, Luke appears to be, and I don't know if you knew this or not, some of you might, Luke appears to be the only Gentile writer in the entirety of Scripture, the only Gentile writer. We know that Luke was a Gentile. Some, some commentators say, well, we're not sure, maybe he was a Hellenistic Jew. No, um, we, we're pretty confident that Luke was a Gentile because of the Apostle Paul and what he wrote in his closing letter to the Colossians where he differentiated between his Jewish co-laborers, he called them of the circumcision, and his non-Jewish co-laborers. And Luke would be in the non-Jewish category as Paul writes these closing words in the book of Colossians. Now Paul didn't write that to show a schism or a, uh, any hierarchy or that God prefers Gentiles over Jews or Jews over Gentiles, nothing of the sort. He wrote it to say that God brings both groups together, so showing that in, his, in Paul's team he had both Jews and Gentiles working on the same work of evangelism and making disciples. So that's why Paul brings that out. But even God choosing one writer for two of the books of the Bible, so the 64 of 66 books are written by Jewish authors, but two written by a Gentile, was to confirm, as, as Eusebius calls him, Antiochian, uh, but it was to confirm that God so loved the world. The Jewish world, which he came first to the house of Israel, right? He came first to Bethlehem, first 
to the lost sheep, first of the 12 tribes of Israel, but God so loved the world. So you have a Gentile writer that's writing two very important books, one being one of the four Gospels and one being the entire story of the New Testament birth of the church. So Luke is given that. Uh, and, and, and as far as you take the New Testament and you kind of stack the pages, Acts and Luke are the thickest selection of pages you would get from any author. Paul's would come in second. Paul wrote more letters to more uh, of the church, but Luke's were actually a little bit more as far as volume uh, in total. So you, Paul, and, and that's really cool is that Paul and Luke were such good friends traveling together. Paul's like, how about I write half and you write half or something like that, you know. So, but actually there's other three books, Matthew, Mark, and John are still in there too. But, but the two of them like, uh, did you know that the two of us hanging out, we're going to write like a lot of the New Testament, then throw John in there and you basically, those three guys are almost the entire part of the New Testament. But, uh, but God choosing this one Gentile writer again to confirm that God sent his son to bring salvation to every nation, every ethnicity, every tribe, every skin tone, every language, every culture. And Luke here in writing to the Theophilus is picking up with God's redemptive plan. He had already written of the life and ministry of Jesus in the 24 chapters in Luke. He had already told him this is the whole ministry of Jesus all the way till he ascended, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his teaching. Now he picks up, what he's picking up with Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus had promised what? The Helper, the Holy Spirit. So he's picking up with, this is what Jesus promised, this is what's going to come after Jesus reascends to the Father. And he's picking up with the church that Jesus had established and the same gospel that Jesus had preached. And he now will go forward, this gospel is going to go forward to the ends of the earth by the grace and mercy of God using men and women just like us, just like the early apostles. And Luke is telling Theophilus, let me tell you the rest of the story. Because there was a rest of the story. Luke was still alive at this time, obviously. God was doing the next work post-ascension of Jesus, and he wanted to communicate all that God had done through the birth of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're born again here this morning, if you're born again and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're now part of this continuing story. Isn't that great to know? You're part of the continuing story that starts in Acts chapter 1. Uh, this story of God's redeeming grace, what Jesus secured in his life and in his death and his resurrection is still multiplying every single day. I was thinking this morning, uh, I'm currently in three kind of conversations, communications with three people that I've been praying for for a long time. And I think they're all getting close to, getting really, really close I can't say their names, where they're at. They're not in this room right now. But uh, the, the gospel has a way of once that seed gets in, it starts to germinate. Amen? And it's still multiplying every single day. Now back to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 again. So we see here, uh, I want to read these three verses again. The former account that I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given, not suggestions, commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. He had already presented himself 
alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Do you see how much Luke packed into those few sentences? If you ever have to like tell an entire story and you've got like, all right, the plane's about to depart, I'll tell you in one minute what I couldn't finish the entire ride over, right? Uh, Luke is like saying, here's the whole thing. He's basically giving you the 24 chapters of Luke in a, in a few sentences, a, a brief paragraph. He reencapsules the 24 chapters he wrote in his gospel account. But even in a few words, you can see they're purposeful and powerful. And when the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives, our words become purposeful and powerful. We don't waste a lot of motion. God gives us the right words and the right situations. And what Luke is about to recount in verses 4 through 11, we'll get to those in just a few minutes, is an expanded view of what he recorded at the end of Luke chapter 24. So, since Zach had you turning all over your Bibles last week, turn with me over to Luke chapter 24. Zach, thank you for getting them so ready by zipping all over through the scriptures. Uh, Luke chapter 24. It's the only other place I'm going to have you turn. But I want you to see that he takes what he already wrote at the end of Luke, and you see he's basically dovetailing the Acts opening to kind of show you the rest of what was taking place in these final closing words of Jesus before he ascended back to the Father. So pick it up with me in verse 46. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary. Look at look, Jesus is reminding, he's already, they've already touched his nail-pierced hands. He's already broken bread with them. Uh, uh, he's eaten the broiled fish with them and the honey. Uh, he's actually told Peter, hey, I'm going to have you ten sheep, feed sheep, all that stuff. But here he says to them again, thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached. Now he's telling them the go forward strategy. Preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father. So the, there again, he's mentioned again, the helper, the promise, the Holy Spirit's coming upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it, when it came to pass, he blessed them, and he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So that's what Luke concluded as he told those final words of Jesus, uh, writes this to Theophilus, but then he's going to fill in some other parts that he either didn't have time or didn't add, and we're seeing that in verses 4 through 11. So let's look at verses 4 through 11, back to the book of Acts, chapter, four, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, same scene, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Remember, he already said that to Theophilus in the end of 24. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John, John being John, we call John the Baptist, but John the baptizer, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, 
they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, verse 9, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen, as you saw him go into heaven. We see what Luke didn't include in, in chapter 24, some things he didn't include. Some of it is repetitive, some of it is the same scene, but some things that he didn't include. And all these are essential, the things that he's saying, the kind of uh, promise of the Spirit, the coming work of the Spirit, all of these things are essential. And the fact that he says, uh, you're going to take the gospel to the nations, but you're going to need the power of the Spirit to do it, it's underscoring for us, the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, the purpose that we've been given, the purpose of why we're even here in the first place, we're still here, there's a mission to be complete. Uh, just as Jesus came and he had a mission, he said it is finished, we have a mission to complete. But the purpose, the power we're going to need to fulfill this mission, this calling, and the perseverance we're going to need. How many of you think it's pretty hard to do uh, this Christian life at times? I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to be a witness for Christ. It's hard. So you're going to need the perseverance. You're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit and all of these things. But the church would be doing these things until Jesus returns for his bride from the Father. And so as we look back here at verse uh, 4... He begins, uh, this is obviously Luke's uh, commentary, and being assembled together. So if you have a red letter Bible, this is in black. Jesus is going to speak in just a moment. But Luke speaking in verse 4, and being assembled together with them. Let me just say right there, it says Jesus is assembled together with them. Jesus loves to assemble his sheep. Amen? He loves to assemble his sheep. He loves that you're assembled here today. Those of you that are watching online, if you're homesick or you're out of town, uh, you're still with us in spirit. I felt like even when I was in Northern Virginia, I was still with you all in spirit. And so he loves to assemble us physically, but also that we have the same mind to be assembled, that we have the same desire to be assembled, that we want to be like-minded, we want to be unified in the faith. And Jesus loves to assemble his sheep, he loves to assemble his children, he loves to assemble his servants, which are all one and the same. Those are all synonyms. Servants, children, sheep, all the same thing. Do you love to assemble with the body of Christ? I mean, do you, um, this is a, don't ask this to everybody. Do you love your family? Well, that's, you, know, you can get all kinds of answers from that. But uh, like in our family, it's just me, my wife, and three girls. We love when all five of us are together. But I also love when God brings the larger church family together and the whole body of Christ. Um, I love to assemble and meet as much of the family of God as possible. You know, we had a great time uh, Thursday. I mean, it's been a crazy uh, month to begin with. But we had time Thursday, and we had a chance to hang out uh, with... Um, Dave and, and the team, and, and then uh, went to dinner with them, and uh, I was shocked that they 
chose a Mexican restaurant when they're all from New Mexico. Uh, but they had been five weeks away from New Mexico, so they had not had it. And I said, I said all right, if we're going to eat this Mexican restaurant, don't compare it to the authentic New Mexico stuff. I mean, just take it for what it is. We have this stuff called Salsa Blanco. It's only in Virginia. You know, do your best to kind of like these things. And, um, but it's great to assemble with the body of Christ, no matter where they're from in the world. Amen? I mean, I love to meet with our, with our uh, missionaries and people come through that I've not met before and get to know as much of the family, and that's what heaven's going to be like. We're going we're to be assembled together forever. We're not going to be uh, apart doing certain missions. It'll all be together. But at this point, Jesus was still physically present with them. He was still there. He had not ascended just yet, so he brings them all together. And he's bringing them all together because he has a very specific task to give them. And he tells them, wait for me, or wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes to you. You cannot leave Jerusalem. He's going to have them leave Jerusalem. He's going to have them go into the world. But they cannot leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. And he says, it's just a few days away. So it's not going to be months, but I want you to wait there. Remember they had failed in a task in the garden when he said, wait here and pray with me for an hour, and they all fell asleep. So here's their opportunity to get this one right. Go to Jerusalem, do not leave the city until the promise of the Father comes upon you. He had promised them that when he returned to the Father, that the Father would send the helper. He talked about that in the upper room the night uh, of his betrayal, the night that he broke uh, and had the Passover, broke the bread with them, had the Passover. He promised the helper, the spirit of truth would come and help them and remind them of all things, but also uh, be with them even to the end of the age. And Jesus, as Jesus would go up, the spirit would come down. Jesus would go up and the spirit would come down. Verse 5, uh, Jesus says here in verse 5, um, Pick it up with my glasses off. This is never an easy thing to do. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now John, we know that John, uh, his cousin John, not the Apostle John, but John had baptized Jesus in water in the Jordan River. He had baptized Christ. And that was a picture for all of us that Jesus was surrendered to the total will of the Father, and that we should also have that total surrender to the will of the Father. But also we know that as Jesus goes down in the water, it typifies his death, his burial, and then coming up out of the water, his resurrection. We still say those words when we baptize people to this day. And the apostles, we know that they would go on to baptize many people. <clears throat> but John, John, uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, had prophesied that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit and would baptize them with fire, baptize them from above. Now, we know when we get to Acts chapter 2, there's going to be tongues of fire. Everything that John had said would come. Uh, and Jesus is reminding them that John had prophesied this. And this, they had seen a lot of the prophecies already come true, but this one had not happened yet. That, ha that would happen when they wait in Jerusalem, and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would baptize the entire body of Christ, the church that he's established, but also baptize them personally. Remember the tongues of fire are going to be on each individual head. The church will be baptized, but individual baptism, just like you're individually baptized in water, you need to be individually baptized 
by the Holy Spirit. And this would be a separate work from the indwelling of the Spirit that had already been given. Remember, Jesus had already breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. He'd already breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. They they were already saved. Their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They had received the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the seal of the Spirit, but they needed the baptism of the Spirit, and that would be coming. Verse 6. Therefore, we're not trying to tackle all these things. I'm just saying these are the things that He's saying, this is coming. I'm telling you, this is coming in chapter 2 and other places. So, verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. He says all this, and they immediately go here. Verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They want to talk about prophecy. They want to talk about, oh, you know what? All that's great and all. I know you're going to send the Holy Spirit and the baptism, but we saw you wither that fig tree. Is that In other words, is that going to be revived soon? Are we going to break off the shackles of Rome? Are we going to see the kingdom restored? And that's what they wanted to focus on. They weren't really thinking about souls at this moment. Their thought, uh, not so many days from now, uh, so they're thinking if if Jesus is saying that in, in a few days the promise is going to come, maybe just maybe when the Father pours, this is their thinking, when the Father pours out the Spirit, maybe Jesus... At that same time, will you cause the nation of Israel to rise to its former glory? As the, as the promise comes in that we receive the Spirit, but also Israel is refor- restored immediately to its former glory, what they don't realize is that the baptism, the immersion of the Spirit, yes, that is just days away. That's correct, as Jesus said, not many days. You just wait there for a few days, and that promise is going to come. But Israel's restoration as a nation is many days away. Amen? It still has, I mean, they are back in the land. They, are, they have leaves, they have branches, but there's still no fruit. The fruit of the entire nation repenting and turning back, uh, looking at the one who is their Messiah. That has not happened yet, and that will happen, but that's still many days away. Look at verse 7. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Jesus redirects their attention away from the reestablishment of Israel. Now, this is not to say that this isn't important in God's plan. It absolutely is. Jesus spoke of it himself in the Olivet Discourse. We know that it's written of in the Scriptures. We just covered some of that in the Prophecy Series. You can go back and listen to that. It's very important to God that Israel is restored, and part of that covenant has to be uh, fully fulfilled and, the, and, and Israel take its place as the priestly nation, which will happen in the millennium reign of Christ. They have to go through the time of Jacob's trouble. All of those things are important, but Jesus is redirecting their attention away from the reestablishment of Israel. This is not what Jesus was focused on at this moment, nor was it he wanted, wanted them to be focused on at that moment. Now, those of you that are parents, you've had this before. You ever been having a discussion with your kids and they try to move off topic? And you redirect, no, 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 we'll talk about that next week. Today, we're talking about this. Because this is very important to tomorrow. That's important to like eight weeks away. So today, we're talking about this topic. And that's what Jesus is doing because they're still children to him. He's redirecting their attention. To that. I don't want you thinking about the Father's timeline at the moment. You don't even know the day and the hour. You, all do, you already know the season. Because I ta- taught you that on the Mount of Olives. But right now, I want you to think about the Holy Spirit, and waiting in Jerusalem. That's all I want you to focus on right now. Aren't you glad that Jesus sometimes tells you and me, sometimes, 
I don't want you thinking about a hundred things. I want you thinking about just this. By the way, this will calm you at moments when you are thinking about 20,000 things and God's like, no, 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 no. This verse, just this one verse. Meditate on this for the next. I don't care where you go. Keep meditating on this verse. Keep this front and center. You're thinking about too many things. And he's redirecting their attention. Uh, obviously, the reestablishment of Israel is a big part of God's plan. And, and even they have a future role in it. He told them, you're going to sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. They probably wanted to know more about that. But that's not what he was there to talk to them about. He was talking to them, using them for the purpose he was calling them, that they would understand their purpose and why he had called them and the power they were going to need to fulfill the mission that he had given them. And he's, in fact, given us the same mission. Look at verse 8, and this is where he states it. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And in Judea, the next ring of circle out. And Samaria, further way out. And at the end of the earth, well beyond the nation of Israel itself. And I love that Jesus, the first word here in, in verse 8, he says, but. But, what is it? But you shall receive power. But in spite of your sinful past, but in spite of your flesh, in spite of your Inabilities, in spite of all that you understand, in spite of all that you don't understand, in spite of all that you've learned, in spite of what you haven't learned, in spite of what you've applied, in spite of what you haven't applied, in spite of the opposition will come, I'm going to give you power. In spite of all the excuses that you could have or that the world could throw at you, I'm going to give you power. You know, the same power that God spoke the universe into existence. That kind of power, amen? That kind of power. Dunamos power. Jesus is saying that with the promise will come power. I could never, ever, would ever, never want to be a pastor without the power of God, ever. And you shouldn't want to be a stay-at-home mom or a good husband or whatever you are called to do without the power of God. It's not, he says, it's not power to reestablish Israel as a mighty nation kingdom. It is not our job to remake America the greatest nation on earth. Now, it is our job to be light, to be salt and light in this nation, and if God uses that to bring about a healing, praise God, we pray for that. But it's not our job. Our job is to be lights and witnesses for Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, you can do that in lots of spheres. I'm not saying that that means you can't be involved in the political process. And I'm saying that reestablishing kingdoms is not our job. It's to live for his kingdom. And then the other things will fall into place as God uh, designs and desires. But um, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have all the necessary power you will need to be witnesses of all that Jesus has done, all that he has taught. You're going to have the power. You're gonna, he's going to bring the, your remembrance of things uh, that you need to say. So many times I've reminded myself of this verse, and frankly I need to remind myself of it even more that we would have the power to proclaim Christ, the power to serve Christ, the power to live for Christ. Uh, notice that Jesus does not say, he says, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll have power to be my witnesses. He does not say when the Spirit comes upon you, you will become expert sermon critics. You will become 
Sermon curators, you will become effective worship listeners, really good book readers, really great podcast enthusiasts. Now, I'm not against the books, the podcasts, the sermons. I do all those things. But that's not what the power was for. It was to be what? A witness, a faithful witness. When he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been a faithful witness in the lifespan, that little dash between mine says 1969, dash, I don't know what the end point is. Well done, good and faithful servant that was empowered by Jesus Christ to live for him, to be a disciple for him. This power that comes with an immersion of the Spirit is to be faithful witnesses and to fulfill our calling. Everyone has the, the same calling to be a witness for Christ. And this commission, as he said up in verse 1, had given commandments to the, uh, to the disciples. This commission is directly connected to the Great Commission, which is in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, and it restates the command here. He's restating Acts 1.8. It restates the command to go, but it also promises the power of the Holy Spirit to help us as we go, because we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. There's a million times where you're, the Holy Spirit's like, Say something to this person, you're like, I don't want to. <laughs> Fill in the reason. I'm tired, I've got places to be, uh, they're going to say no, they're going to think I'm weird, they're going to laugh at me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit says, I can power you through that. And I'm speaking to you to speak up. Uh, speaking of uh, Acts 1-8, J. Vernon McGee said this. I skipped that one. Oh, I didn't say that. But there's more material for you up there on the screen. So, um, yeah, that's uh, well, everything was foretold, has been fulfilled, and now we freely give it out. Now, to J. Vernon McGee, who's right here. All right. Uh, this is the commission that still holds for today. This is a very personal command to each believer, personally, privately. It is a direct command for you and me today. It is our business to get the word out to the world. We can't say that it's up to the church to send missionaries and to give out the gospel and then sit back and let others do it. That all-important question is whether you are getting out the word of God. Like I said, I don't want to just say it from the pulpit. I want to make sure I'm having conversations with people. I'm speaking to people. Do they know where their soul is going to spend eternity? They know that Jesus has come to save their soul. The Spirit is being sent. Thankfully, you and I are sent out, but the Spirit has already gone out before us. Amen? The, the Spirit is already prepping the battlefield. The Spirit has already in, is already in the world. And Jesus said the Spirit would be there to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. He, judgment to come. he told them the same night there in the upper room. He told them these things. The same Spirit that helps us live as lights in a dark world is also speaking Two people that we don't even realize he's speaking to. That's why sometimes you're shocked when you say to somebody, would you like to listen? They say, yeah, I would. And you're like, I thought for sure you'd say no. We, yesterday, um, uh, Randy West's daughter handed uh, a, a track to a, a guy. Well, tried to, and the dude said, like this. He walked about 100 yards up and then turned around and ran back and said, give me that after all. Wow. And then I ran and caught him and, and then invited him to church and everything. And so... You just never know because the Holy Spirit's doing things that we can't do. But the heart of Jesus is to reach the whole world. Not just one part of the world, the whole world. The Spirit imparts in us the same desire and the same mission uh, 
that we would have the same compassion for people that Jesus did. This is what it means to live as a disciple. If Jesus had compassion for the multitudes, we would walk in his footsteps and we would have compassion, but we would also rely on the same power that he did to go out and speak and to touch the lost and dying world for him. Last, two, uh, last couple of verses, verse 9 to 11, I'll bring this to a close. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood, there, stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. With this promise of the Spirit and the power uh, that he's promised is this command to bring the gospel to the othermost. And now Jesus, as soon as he says these things, his closing words, then he ascends up into the Father. His last words are, I'm going to give you power to go out into all the world. If these are his closing words before he rises up into heaven, we would be really wise to A, know them, to prioritize them. Amen? Amen. To prioritize them. And I hope that we will. But he's received up into a cloud. Now probably the Shekinah glory cloud comes down and pulls him. I don't know how this whole thing works. However, Jesus did it. But anyway, the Shekinah glory cloud probably envelops Jesus who goes up into the puffy clouds that we see. And as they are just staring up, jaws on the ground, eyes as big as saucers, staring in the sky, because he told them that this day would come. But you know, and never, you never really realize it's going to come until it actually comes. And so they're just standing there staring up into heaven, and suddenly two angels appear. That would get my attention as well. But um, at his birth, the angels appeared to shepherds, and at his ascension, the angels appeared to sheep. The men are the sheep. Right? The men are the sheep. We're the sheep. And he appears to them, and, and uh, the angels give him a little bit of rebuke. But the whole scene is beyond our comprehension. None of us have ever witnessed anything like this. We've never stood there and seen someone in human form like us. Like obviously, Jesus is not just, he is God in human flesh. Just all of a sudden, he's like, elevator up. It's time to go up into the heavens and the Shekinah glory and up into the clouds and Jesus rises into the sky and the angels appear, which this scene is so supernatural that they don't even seem to pay much attention to the angels. Like, I haven't had two angels come visit and explain to me what Jesus just said in my entire life. Only the televangelists get this. I don't ever seem to get this. But, um, but then the angels give a little primer of Jesus' return and say, hey, the same way you saw him come up is the same way he's going to come back. Or it's going to be really fast, though. It's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. Right, right. But the angels are like, you, you've been given a commission. Why are you gazing here? Get to Jerusalem. You've been told to go wait. Go do what you're, do, do what you're told. Angels do exactly what they're told. Human beings, we kind of kick the can around a little bit, think about it, mull it over. Angels don't do that. They're like, you've been given a task. Go do it. And in the Father's time, Jesus will return the same way he came, coming in the clouds, just as he was received in the clouds. We know that we'll meet him in the clouds. We know that he said, I'm coming quickly. As we talked about the prophecy series, when he says quickly, that means 
not days like a thousand years. That means quickly as in when I come, it'll be too late for you to be prepared. You have to be ready now. Quickly. As soon as he comes, you've got to be ready then. So now is the day. You can't say, all right, if I hear the trumpet, then I'll get ready. It's the blink of an eye. You couldn't even touch a shoestring, much less tie up, tie up your laces or anything. You won't need that anyway, but anyway. I was thinking, um, you guys have all heard of cloud services now? Cloud services, uh, cloud services. How about a service in the clouds? You know, a worship service in the clouds. And so uh, we have these things to look forward to. Um, as I mentioned, I wanted to close this service by letting you hear just from what I uh, refer to as um, acts in action. And so I want to have the... Uh, 10th hour, uh, hour team come up and just uh, take the last 10 minutes or so. And so if you guys will just hang with us, I want them to just share with you a few things. So I think Dave's going to come up first. Thanks, sir. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, praise God. Uh, well, good morning, church. What a good message, man. I love the book of Acts because uh, we're supposed to be living it out. <laughs> Amen. And by his power, we can. And I was thinking about just that, that verse about the Holy Spirit will come upon you with power and you will be my witness. Um, are we doing it? Are we being that? Are we being the salt and light? Listen, I don't think you know, we were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It might not be you feel the fuzzies or anything. Someone might have prayed over you to receive it, and then you walked away going, well, I don't know. Do I have it? Well, do it, <laughs> and you'll see that you have it, right? Um, the Spirit will come upon you with power, and you will be a witness when you step out. And you might feel like a train wreck at the moment, but when you step out and, and say, Lord, I'm going to do it, he will show you that the power is upon you, and you'll have verses in your mind and your heart that you didn't think you knew. Um, you'll, you'll be able to um, recognize someone needs prayer for something specific. He might give you a word of knowledge in someone's life, and the Spirit will move, and you'll, you'll leave that conversation going, what in the world just happened? How did, I, how did that verse come to mind? How did I realize, how did I know how to pray for that person? It's because the Holy Spirit um, is at work in your life. So I pray that we're all stepping out in these last days because Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Amen. I just want to say thank you to Pastor Tim for having us out. We've been here since Wednesday and just going out in the community and, and being light. And I'm, I'm so blessed that you guys have a, a, an evangelism team here. Uh, the two by two ministry, I believe it's called. Listen, if you haven't been a part of that, try to be a part of it when they're going. Find out when they're going and go with them if you never have and watch the Lord move in your life. Amen. Well, I just want to share a little bit about the ministry. Um, I'm Pastor Dave Chafee with 
Agents for Christ Ministries. We've been a ministry for about 15 years now. Started with just two families, um, really living in RVs with our kids and going across the country and sharing the gospel. And the Lord has just expanded our reach. Uh, we started in a, a, a gospel tract ministry, just little little cards to share the gospel. And we started using those ourselves, and people wanted them, so we started a website to send those out to different churches and things. Um, a radio ministry called Evangelism Minute, just a one-minute encouragement to share the gospel, and that's played on Calvary Chapel stations across the country. And then later we went on to start out Uganda Kids Project. Some of you have met Pastor Bill James, who's uh, the pastor over there and the director of Uganda Kids Project. And over the last five years, my wife and I have started with a team of people uh, the 10th Hour Project in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It's an eight-month discipleship program for young adults ages 18 to 26. Um, the name comes from John chapter 1, when Jesus has his first encounter with two of his disciples. And I'll read, read it to you in verse 35. It says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And he said to them, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Now this is our heart for the young people of this nation, well, all young people across the world, that they would see Jesus. And as soon as they see him, they drop everything and follow him. I mean, that is the response of anybody who's seen Jesus with supernatural eyes, amen? If you've seen him, you will go wherever he tells you to go. You will say whatever he tells you to say, and you'll do whatever he tells you to do. Because the power that hits you and the, the salvation that comes into your life and the love and the hope and the peace that you experience is like nothing else, amen? And that's our heart for young people, and that's what we desire to see in their lives. And so we started the 10th Hour Project. The students, they spend three months in intensive training in theology, apologetics, evangelism, and missions. And then we head out on a six-week tour. We're at the end of our tour now with you guys. we got one more stop before they go to the next phase of the, the, uh, the mission. During that tour, we have them teach evangelists. Some of you guys were here Wednesday night. We, have, we teach our students to teach. Uh, we share the gospel in the streets everywhere we go. No matter where we're at, someone's going to hear about Jesus. Amen? We're intentional about it, right? And may the Lord make us intentional about sharing the gospel. After those six weeks, um, they spend three months in Uganda, Africa, with uh, Pastor Bill James over there and his wife, Danielle. They'll be um, not only serving in the church, but also serving in the school. There's a school there from kindergarten all the way through high school. Just built a gymnasium this last year. And the church is expanding there as well. So they'll have a chance to not only tutor kids, but also disciple kids and serve in, in the school, in the church. Um, building houses, lots of different opportunities to live life on mission. And then they'll be back for a two-week debrief uh, to really say, Lord, what have you shown me about not only who you are, but who am I in Christ? I think getting this grounding and getting this boldness to know who you are in Jesus, nothing can stop you. If you know who you are in Christ, nothing can stop you. Today, uh, we've, it's been about five years. We're on term eight now, going into term nine. And the Lord is just expanding it. We're having sign-ups like crazy, which is a good thing. <laughs> We're wondering how to expand our, our campus. <laughs> and should we take three vans on tour? 
by God's grace, right? But today we've, had, we've traveled over 100,000 miles by van to churches, schools, youth events, conferences, where our students have had the opportunity to teach evangelism classes, share their testimonies, share the gospel all across America, and learn this life on mission no matter what they're going to do, whatever comes next. And we've seen people come to Christ in schools, on beaches, in hotels, in gas stations. We just see the Lord move in power, and you'll be surprised when you just step out. We've had over 75 uh, students come through our program who have all gone on to serve the Lord in different capacities. Most have gone back to their home churches, but some are serving as interns at churches all across the country. Some are youth pastors now, college group leaders, nurses, whatever they're doing, they're living life on mission. We've had several graduates go into full-time missions. Uh, we have uh, three in, in Uganda full-time. We've had one in the Congo, one in Peru full-time. And God is on the move, and they're all living life on mission. Listen, if there ever was a time when young people need instruction in biblical worldview and application of Scripture, it's now. Amen? It's today. I don't see how parents can send their kids to a university when they're not sure if their kid is saved, listen, or if they know the gospel or if they're ready to defend it or to even defend their own faith. We need this pouring in of the young people today. Barna Group Research shows that a biblical worldview is on decline in America, and we don't have to look far to see that, amen? Listen to these statistics um, about kids, basically young people who know the gospel but don't share it. It says, almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus among all generational groups, and that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. Millennials in particular feel equipped to share their faith with others. For instance, almost three-quarters say they know how to respond when someone raises questions about their faith and that they are gifted at sharing their faith with other people. Listen, but despite this, many millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. Almost half of millennials agree, at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. This is strange to me. You're, you're equipped. You know that it's right. But in the back of your mind, you think, I, sh I probably shouldn't do that. Listen, that's a cultural lie. That is a satanic lie from the devil. Because it's a natural overflow of your saved soul to want someone else to be saved, right? What happened to every per person that met Jesus? They went and told someone else. That was the natural response. Listen to what David Kinnaman, he's the president of Barner Group, says what, what we should do about this. He says, to start, we must pass on a resilient faith to Christian young people. This is also a form of evangelism. Planning especially for the pivot point of high school and college age years. Even after they are committed to sustaining resilient faith, we must persuade younger Christians that evangelism is an essential practice to following Jesus. Amen? It should be the part of your walk with God. And the only way they're going to learn that is if you and I do it, right? If they see us doing it, they will do it. Amen? I want to um, welcome up Micah. She's going to come share a little bit of what God's been doing in her life through the program. Um, I'm Micah, I'm 19, I'm from Massachusetts, and just a few things that God's been teaching me through this program, um, really, uh, I'll just start with, like, his character, who God is. Um, God is love, he is compassionate, he is merciful, um, and he didn't come to judge the world, but to save it, really. 
Um, and that's been a huge just change for me. Like, who is God and, like, why does he love me? Why does he love us? And it just changes everything when you understand really who he is as a person. Um, and then on top of that, just, like, trusting him is another thing that has really been um, a change for me. Uh, just, like, in public school, they really push, like, careers and college and what are you doing with your life and like almost to the point where that has to define you um and that's completely just been thrown out the door for me um and just like daily bread and not like the whole year you know <laughs> so like what's his plan for me today and tomorrow and not worrying about what's to come really and that's really started with the opportunity to go to Peru for me just like, okay, you're not going to Uganda anymore, actually, so here you go. Don't worry about it, though. <laughs> like, so there's been that. Um, and then I had another thing, but I forgot it. That's okay. Um, <laughs> and then for evangelism, it's been a huge part for me, just growing in boldness, because um, it's not something I've ever done before coming through this program. Um, but just... Even trusting him through that, um, that he'll use me, and he has used me before, and he will continue to use us. Um, oh, uh, it's been very encouraging. Every time we go out, we I often run into believers, which is crazy, because we often think, like, no one's evangelizing, and there's not many out there, but somehow we happen to run into one every single time, and it's been a super encouragement to me that there's other people out there sharing the word, and that all, between all those false gospels and twisted truths, there's still people out there who love the Lord and are sharing their faith. So praise God for that. Um, yeah. Praise the Lord. God is doing a work. I, I always I challenge the students, and I was speaking to someone um, during first service, that what does God want from us? He wants faith, right? He wants us to know how much he loves us. He adores us. And on your worst day, he's madly in love with you. And that will make you tell someone about him. But you have to take a risk. I think sometimes in this country, we don't, we don't understand that because we're comfortable, right? And God doesn't want us comfortable. He wants us to be uncomfortable. And he will be our comfort in that situation, right? Take risks, you guys. Step out in faith. Amen? Please keep us in prayer. The devil hates what we do. Um, there's several ways you can get involved. One, you can send a student. Do you know a young person that needs worldview training, that needs to get to know Jesus in a more intimate way in their life? The other thing is you can sponsor the program. Um, we try to keep the price as low as we can so that we can invite as many kids as we can. And sometimes they can't even afford that. Um, you can serve at 10th hour, take a short-term mission trip, um, pray about a mission trip to Uganda. I know you guys are going to is it Guatemala. Praise the Lord. Maybe next year, Africa. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but mostly just pray for us. Um, we need your prayers. The Lord is commissioning these guys. We're seeing more signups. We're praying that we can reach more students. We want to. We desire to. And we pray that these guys will live radical lives for Jesus and that that will be all that they live for is the kingdom. Amen? Whether they're a plumber, pastor, mechanic, they live for the kingdom. Amen? And thank you guys so much for having us. Um, we'd love to chat with you. You can chat with the students out here in the lobby. You can sign up for our newsletter, and we'd love to just get to know you. So God bless you guys.
why don't you stand as we close in prayer? We'll have a closing song today, but we'll just close in prayer. Um, I have loved uh, getting to know this group. The only difference between them and the teenagers in the Jesus Revolution is 50 years gap. That's it. They're the same young people. They're the same being delivered from other things. And uh, we've just really enjoyed getting to know them. And, um, you know, God, this is graduation season. Did you know that God is not one bit impressed whoever graduates as valedictorian from Princeton or Yale? He's not impressed at all. Doesn't mean that that's not hard work. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God's not impressed. He's not impressed if I witnessed anyone. He just is pleased when we obey. Amen? Amen. That, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't well done. You were Val Victorians. I'll let you in. You did the amazing things. You, you know. Uh, so these young people, if they if they find their place in Jesus, everything else will take care of itself. Amen. It doesn't mean that they'll be living homeless on the streets or anything like that. They'll find their place when they find their place in Christ. Amen. And they are. So I'm, I'm thankful for what um, Dave and uh, Tenth Hour Project is doing, and 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 Bill in Uganda as well, and. Uh, so pray for them, and if you want to give to support them today, um, y- if you decide you want to write a check to Calvary Chapel and put in the memo, 10th hour, we'll include it in a master check to them, or you can give directly to them. They have the t-shirts you can buy, stuff like that, but uh, anything you do to bless them uh, is just giving it straight to Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had today. Lord, we pray that we would go forth as your witnesses. We pray, Lord, that we would um, access your power by abiding in you. And, Lord, just by taking steps of faith, as, as Dave said, just taking risks, but they're not so risky at all, Jesus, as you're going before us, because no weapon formed against us shall stand. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'd fill us with boldness and compassion in equal parts and faith. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would use us. And as we leave here, Lord, uh, may you bless and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. And if you can help with the chairs, we're glad to take that too. <laughs>